Rodney, what's up, buddy? Diatomaceous earth. <laughs> Some people refer to it as DE. If you're in the farming community and you listen to this podcast, first, I want to say big ups. Appreciate you. Second, I want to say you're probably familiar with this from the agricultural grade that's used as a um, pesticide. But there's a food grade, a mm. culinary grade, if you will, mm. that humans can consume. Mm. I've been doing this for a little while. Mm. It's a it's a desiccant. Mm. It dries things. Um, I actually tried this. I found a brown widow spider and I trapped it. It was a big one. It was a big one. Trapped it and I put some DE on it and it dries out. It's how it works as a pesticide. It's really fine particles of these diatoms. So diatoms, like the little um, uh, marine creatures that are like really small and they're broken and then they fossilize and they break up. Most of the ocean bed is made out of them and it's broken up into super fine particles and you put it on a bug, the exoskeleton, it like shreds its way through the exoskeleton and dries the creature out, like dries all the fluids. From a human perspective, some people like it because it does that with toxins and heavy metals and they say like even tapeworms and stuff like that inside your gut. For me, it has been... Like my digestive tract gets going like money, like money, and I feel good with it. Like I've taken it for I don't know two or three months, and then taken a couple months off, and then go gone back, and I've noticed a notable difference mm. between taking it and not. So what I hear is one, I should try this, and two, you kill spiders with chemicals. It's not a chemical. This is from the earth. Mm. <laughs> you can just like, this one see you to, making experiments with spiders to, and just drying them out and going. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that's. <laughs> welcome to or welcome back to more in common. This is our social experiment. See, everyone has a story that can help us learn from one another. And we bring people into this safe space that we have learned to create so we can learn about their stories and get into difficult topics that challenge us in conversation and ultimately how we think. And we have a lot of these conversations and we're seeing a lot of similar threads through all of them. So what we're doing is breaking down these conversations to create a set of tools and a map that will help you become a conversation boss so that you can be a catalyst for conversation in your day-to-day -day life. And of course, we have to remind you, uh, www.moreincommonpod.com, where you can find all the goodness of More in Common Pod. Um, you know, you can sign up for our newsletter. And if you're feeling punchy and you, and you like what's going on today, feel free to share this away. Get more listeners, more ears on, on these awesome stories from our awesome guests. So, we are coming off of an awesome episode with Tina McGuff. What was a big takeaway for you, Mr. Mr. Rodney? A big takeaway for me right now is how you got after those W's. <laughs> really, <laughs> really appreciated that. <laughs> um, but in the Tina conversation, I, I feel myself getting starting to become a little more com comfortable in these conversations about mental illness. And then we had this conversation, and it's just like a whole new ballpark of things that I just didn't understand. And so uh, it is, you know, if you if you listen to it or if you haven't, you go back. Like, it is really me exploring just 
what is psychosis? And oh, I thought that went with this. And it's like, no, it can go with all kinds of different things. Yeah. And and it presents differently. And yeah, it's complicated. Very yes, it's yeah. complex. And that really it's it, cracking the nut on this or starting to go below the surface for me has been a um a journey. So but I really you know, Tina's just just grace in sharing her story and, and her love with her mission and trying to erase the stigma. It's just it's just really good stuff. So I was really happy that we were able to get her to come on. If what you, about you? If you want to be uncomfortable, read her book. Oh. If you really want to get to, to Even the more, messiness, the story if you want to get to the messiness that is anorexia, I highly recommend her book. It's it's a you know, for, for a biography in a way, in this story, it is a page turner. She writes it really, really well, and she keeps you keeps you in to learn more. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's detailed, it's messy, and it is an amazing story of perseverance and resilience and, and survival. Um, and, you know, I, I just love how honest she is about the struggle, and she has no shame about it because she really is dedicated to breaking down that stigma. Mm-hmm. And I just love how aware she is about how she experienced it, even, you know, so many years later, so she can break it down into simple terms for others to to understand what what that experience was like for her. So she's, she's an amazing person and, you know, seconds to snap is her book. I highly, highly recommend making, making that purchase and and reading it. So now, um, who do we have today? Thomas Knox. Thomas is a native New Yorker. He comes from a pretty unique family. He spent a lot of time in the foster system growing up. And most recently he's created date while you wait and be great bow ties. Date While You Wait is literally Thomas sitting down with a table and two folding chairs and a sign that says, Date While You Wait, specifically while New Yorkers are waiting at the subway station in Manhattan or all over. And then Be Great Bowties has a goal to embody greatness, inspire, connect, and inspire those around us to harness their inner potential by allowing them to express the best aspects of themselves in a unique, seamless, and stylish manner. What do we get into? I got to do a special call out to Be Great Bowties, who is now partnering with an amazing Brittany Chung that we all got to meet last year at Elevation Society. Elevation Society. So purchasing a bow tie donates to Elevation Society as it's an effort to break down, um, to end suicide. Making so connections. It's uh, it's awesome. I mean, we talk about his life. We talk about him in the foster system, his amazing relationship with his dad like it still fascinates me to this day like i I still would love to so you know there's just so much and of course we talk a lot about date while you wait um it's a really really awesome business that he's running there and uh, i definitely uh i'm looking forward to bringing this episode to you now any observations from the episode i had a couple mainly thomas's positive outlook on the foster system i don't i guess i really haven't talked to many foster kids as adults and his his outlook is just really positive. He said it made him who he is. So he's very thankful and grateful. And that, that's kind of his attitude in general. Yeah. And his ability to navigate conflicting points of view, see relationship with father, as a youngster and, and be who he is and be secure in who he is and even in that environment is something to, to listen for. Yeah. Uh, what are your conversation tips today? I think there's one. It's curiosity. 
Like there is a lot that we seek to understand. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, it just purely based on curiosity and trying to understand without judgment. So I think there's a, there's a lot there to, to look out for and, and, and pay attention to. So as always, enjoy this amazing conversation with our friend Thomas Knox. because they really wanted us to be accepted in the world. Um, and it, it, it was so minute to like, even like my name. My, my dad's name is Thomas, my name's Thomas, but my dad wanted to name me Thomas because he's like, if your name was Tyrone or if your name was, uh, you know, Deshaun, that that could be a hindrance. That, that's how deep hmm. my parents looked into stuff. And for me, it just was like, I'm like, what about the person? What about the person? Today we are with Thomas Knox. Thomas, how are you today, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, Excited to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, off the top, I am very curious about this, and I've, I've tried to find the answer, and I don't know if I have it yet. But what was your inspiration to start Date While You Wait? Uh, Date While You Wait was kind of a mistake. I didn't really like. I, I started it based on negativity happening. Uh, in New York City subways, I feel like when people travel and they're commuting, um, they're very focused on themselves. And when you're not focused on yourself, you have people who are trying to sell you something or you have people who are playing music or you have people who are essentially just in the way, right? Um, so I wanted to do something positive to just get people to connect in a unique way. Uh, and the idea was brought about based on a conversation I had with a friend who I was supposed to go out with for dinner and she canceled on me because her commute home was really, really bad. Uh, the, the train she was on, it was really hot and she got off the train, waited for another train and there were, there were people selling things and she got off, got on another train and then there were people performing and she was just really frustrated. And in that moment, it just popped into my head. Like, what, what if I do something where I connect with people? Hmm. When did you start it? Uh, June 2015. So you basically just grabbed a table, brought it to a subway, brought Connect Four, and sat down with a sign. Uh, it, it, there's a little more to it than that, but okay. It, yeah, somewhat. Uh, when I started, there was no board game. So the first day I did it, I just had two chairs and a table and a sign. And my goal was just to have as many conversations as possible. So I I end up having like 18 or 20 conversations oh. um, with all how different long, types of people. How long they last? Or does it depend? It definitely ranged. Uh, some were like five minutes and others were like 20 minutes. Mm. Um, and it was really unique because some people were, they were trying to figure out what it was. Other people thought I was really like dating. So they were trying to go on like a real date. Some people <laughs> just wanted to sit down. So I had a couple of elderly people who just sat down because they needed a rest. They were tired. But, yeah. would, but would talk with me. So what was that first conversation like? Like, how did that first person sat down? I, you've got to remember it, right? Uh, I will never forget it. Yeah. And there's a specific reason why, and I'll, obviously I'll share it. Because the first time I did Date Why You Wait, the first person sat, the first person that sat down with me didn't even, I didn't even set up. Like, I was walking down the stairs with the sign and table and chairs, and she, and she got off the train and she stopped me, and she's like, what is this? And I was like, oh, I'm about to set up a table. table. Like, I didn't even have a setup. So she waited. She waited like 10 minutes for me to, 
like figure out how I didn't even know how it was going to set up. It, it just it's so funny. So she waited for me to set up. I ended up setting up. Her name is Sade. She's uh, she's the CEO of the National Black Theater here in New York. Um, and what's very interesting with it is that she was with Zoe Kravitz, which I didn't know. I just saw her in a movie last night. I've, I've never met Zoe Kravitz. Her and Zoe Kravitz are best friends. I didn't know this. She was with Zoe Kravitz, and I'm sitting with her, and we're talking, and I'm like, hey, does your friend want to sit too? And uh, I remember Zoe Kravitz asking, uh, are we recording? Are we taking photos? And we're like, yes. And she was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> so she didn't end up sitting with me, but her friend did. And we sat for about like 10 minutes and we talked about just like how our day was going. Um, what else is very interesting with, with Sade is that Sade's boyfriend at the time, his name was Thomas. So uh, after we connected, she was like, she was like, yeah, I would love to connect again, you know, being funny. And I was like, yeah, that'd be really dope. And she's like, but I already got a Thomas, uh, <laughs> uh, which is really funny. Yeah. And now yeah. she's married to him. Like me and her still stay in contact. Cool. She's married to him and they have a child. But yeah, it was it was incredible. She was she was great. I, I really appreciate her for taking a chance and getting it with me. That, wow. So wait, so you do record the conversations? We do not. Uh, we oh, don't. We just took photos. But once you said we were taking okay. photos. Yeah. yeah, yeah Zoe yeah, Kravitz yeah, yeah. was like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> No, no record of this for me, uh, yeah. especially who is this guy? Exactly. Um, so you had 18 to 20 conversations that first day yeah. before anybody knew what was going on. Yep. And then you just decided this this is what needs to happen and you went with it. Uh, not exactly. Uh, no? I Afterwards, I kind of hated it and dreaded it for a couple of hours because I was super tired and I was in the subway for four, like three to four hours. So I was like, that was great cool i'm going home i'm going to sleep like uh we did it from like three to six so i went home a.m or p.m p.m sorry okay. three to six p.m um at the 14th street union square station uh, here in new york and i was like man i'm tired i'm going home i'm crashing and uh i remember like sleeping for like half an hour and i got a call from my my friend who ended up taking the photos for me he was like hey man did you post the photos i took and i was like nah i'm, I'm tired like i'll do it He's like, you know, man, like create an album right now, share it on Facebook. And I was like, nah, like I'm tired. Like I'll do it tomorrow. I have time for it. He's like, if you don't do this, someone's going to steal this idea. It's such a dope idea. Like, please just get up and do it. So I got up, I posted like 30 photos. I went to sleep. Um, I shared it on my personal and I went to sleep. Um, so the next morning I woke up and it was shared like 200,000 times. Oh my God. And on your first day. First day. And I got like, I had like maybe 150, 200 messages. And, like, everybody was trying to interview me. So, like, NBC reached out, CBS, uh, like, everybody in New York Post. It was just out of control. And I didn't know what to do. I was so confused. I, I, I didn't know. I was so overwhelmed because I didn't know what it was myself. I just wanted to mm -hmm. do something <laughs> this one time. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it ended up becoming a thing because I kept getting invited to be recorded to do do it more. So I just did it more. Wow. So How about that? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like, what? <clears throat> So you notice this this thing that happens with commutes and and with people be, being self absorbed in subway in New York, um, but like what what is it about you or your upbringing or your past that allowed you to notice that? So I get that question a lot because the average person doesn't think like that, right? They're not like, oh, I'm going to go sit in subways. Um, I think for me, I've always been the type of guy that. I'm very curious by people. Like I, I'm, I'm curious 
what people think. I'm curious why people do things. So I've always been a type of when I when I was a kid, I was I was always in discovery mode. Um, I always used to do things just to kind of see it, how people will react. Um, and I think my parents always, my parents. Uh, before I get into that, my parents have never been to get, been in a in a relationship. So my 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 mom and my dad went out on a couple of dates. They were intimate, and my mom got pregnant, and that was it. It was they really didn't have a relationship. So my parents have never been together. I've, ne- I've never lived in the same household with them. And throughout my childhood, I would go from one parent to another. Um, it was the reason I bring it up is because they both taught me two two different kind of ways to do things, but they were so similar. So my mom would tell me to do something. Oh, I would I would tell my mom like, hey, I, you know, I'm interested in this, and she'll be like, hey, you should check it out this way. And then she'll tell my dad, and he would give me feedback on how to do it his way. And it just it just would always add up. Um, so that that's something I think brought them together, but kind of kept them apart. Yeah. My parents have always been about like they they've always taught us, me and my siblings, about the importance mm-hmm. of being open minded. Like always, that, that that's something they always taught us. But I feel like they are they're not open minded people, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, and uh, I realized that. Yeah. You said siblings. Yeah. yeah. How many? There's uh, four of us. What's the math on that? Yeah. I, I'm the oldest. At, I'm 31. My brother right under me just turned 30. Then I have a sister who's 24, and then I have another brother who's 18. All from all all from them? Just those two? No. Oh, okay. No. So okay. my my brother and my brother that's right under me who's 30. We have the same mother and father. Uh. And it's really weird because my mom, like I said, my parents never never really dated. So after my mom had me, my dad and my mom tried to work it out because they have a kid now, mm-hmm. and they were intimate, and then end up getting pregnant again, <laughs> and they've never <laughs> been together. Like it's it's the weirdest thing ever. Uh, and then my mom went on to have my sister and my brother by two other men, so three fathers with four different children. Yeah. Uh, so my mom ended up marrying my brother's father, my youngest brother's father end up getting divorced so now she she's not with him she's by herself my dad's by himself and you know they're living a great single life at in their 50s and 60s <laughs> mm. uh, so, so yeah. where'd you where'd you grow up then like where where did all of this take place uh well i'm born and raised in uh brooklyn brooklyn new york okay. uh brooklyn i would say brooklyn till i was about 17 18 but my mom so my dad lived in brooklyn my mom lived in staten island um so i would go between homes like i would get in trouble with one person and it would send me to the other so I grew up between Brooklyn and Staten Island. Like I went to middle school in Brooklyn and Staten Island. I went to high school in Brooklyn and Staten Island. Uh, Which so, you yeah, prefer? Uh, Staten Island, for sure. Uh, for sure, as far as school. Uh, yeah, it was it was incredible. I was a class clown. Um, I remember there was a point where I was I was in so much trouble at school that I would just do things to like get everybody involved with the fun. So there was a day where I put on a wig and I walked around as uh, Rick James because Chappelle was big and I literally was Rick James for the whole day and it was just hilarious and I used to do like Rick James impersonations once a week um, Rick and James yeah I would literally run around the school doing that people still remember it which is funny so like I would go places I go places now and people see me and they're like yo you were the Rick James kid in school and I'm like yeah that was 12 years ago <laughs> they, it's all so they so I I kind of derailed a little bit you were saying that they taught you to be open-minded and yet they themselves were not. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my, my dad is a like pro black militant, black power guy. Uh, 
he he feels weird about white people and he, he talks he just not he's, he's very uncomfortable around cops um my mom she she was on drugs for a for a large portion of my childhood so i've been in group homes i've been in the force secure system um because my parents uh, there was a point where they both couldn't take care of me um so my mom has this weird relationship uh with the city of new york and with uh kind of how the the government and and welfare and it just it's just really weird how my parents like i said the dynamic the dynamic with them are but they but they want their kids they wanted their kids to be not like them right most parents they want their kids to be better than them so my parents always uh to me it was like a contradiction as a kid but they always told me to like respect and love everybody but then i'll see my dad curse out a white guy like it's just really it's like really weird um <laughs> And, and it's just how it was when I when I was a kid, and I and I grew to understand it. Like I understand it more now as an adult, because they really wanted us to be accepted in the world. Um, and it, it, it was so minute to like even like my name. My my dad's name is Thomas. My name's Thomas, but my dad wanted to name me Thomas because he's like, if your name was Tyrone or if your name was uh, you know Deshawn, that that could be a hindrance. That that's how hmm. deep my parents looked into stuff. And for me, it just was like, I'm like, what about the person? What about the person? Like, what if I'm a good employee? Or what if he's like, things like that matter when you're a black man in America. Uh, so, mm. uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm rambling a little bit, but no, this is good. No, to, I mean, is. how is it that, um, I mean, you came out like your parents said all these things, but visual representation is just as, if not more important uh to to the outcomes that you you have in life like how did you like you got a solid head on your shoulder you know all of these things you you think about people positively like where did that come from i mean is it just because they kept telling you that and you just processed it and internalized it like you <laughs> oh no I, so I, I i understand what you mean it, it so my parents set the tone by telling telling me hey this is how you should be. This is how you should treat people. You, you know, you shouldn't disrespect women. And all. They, they set the tone, but what really uh, kind of took it to the next level was when I went into the foster care system, when I went into the, these group homes. Um, so I, I share this a lot with students when I speak at schools. The best thing that could ever happen to me was going into a group home hmm. because I met other young men that were in similar situations that I, were, I was in. So we could relate. We had, we had the ability to relate, even though you know, I was this black kid from Brooklyn. I, I would meet a, you know, I met a kid from Bronx who was Puerto Rican, or I met a, a kid from Westchester who was white, but they had s similar issues with their families and it created a brotherhood for me. So, which, which, because of those brotherhoods, I realized and I learned a lot of like what real family means. Um, family to me is not always specific to blood. Like, yes, you're related to somebody because you, you guys are blood related, but Family to me is the tribe you have around you, people who, who support you as well as you supporting them. Um, like like I tell you guys, I'm, I'm driving around in my friend's car. He's like a brother to me. He's my big bro. Like I can call him for anything. And I feel like he, he treats me better than some of my, my, blood, my blood relatives. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely because of uh, the, the things that were happening to me. Like I went into a group home. Then when I got out the group home because of this brotherhood that I built and because of the staff and because of the relationships I built in a group home, I was equipped to be successful in high school and be successful in middle school because I, I left when I was like in the eighth grade. So, um, and moved back with my dad. And at that point I was just ready. I was, I had all these tools and resources to be successful 
as I continued into my my you know my adolescence. So, uh, so yeah, that that was what kind of dri- was the driving force to get me. So you had, would you would you how would you qualify the experience in the group home foster system? Was it good for you? Was it like how would you how would you care? Yeah, what's that like? Yeah. So I I it's as as much as people give you know give negative kind of say that negative it was incredible for me mm. it changed my life like I, I i'll never forget uh i was the type of kid that i was a mama's boy so if someone said anything negative about my mom i would fight you even if someone says something positive i would fight you i would say keep my mother's mom my like, don't name. talk about my mom yeah don't talk about my mom and i remember uh my mom was on was heavily on drugs and i remember when i the, the day i went into the group home or a couple of days prior to it I was evaluated in the psych ward in Staten Island because my mom was doing drugs. I came home from school. I was in like the seventh grade and my mom was there doing drugs with another person. And I asked the person to leave. Like I was just a little gangster seven year, uh, seventh grader. So I come in the house and I'm like, Hey man, get the F out of my house. Like, who are you? And she's like shooting up with this guy and he wouldn't leave. So I went and I got a broom and I attacked him with, with this broom. And I remember, uh, him calling the cops and the cops come and they end up taking her so I guess she ended up going into maybe some type of program and I end up being evaluated in this in this psych ward so I was in a psych ward for like 24 hours or or, or maybe a couple a couple days and in that moment I met this kid who was also uh, in the psych ward with me I can't remember what for but he taught me how to play chess <laughs> which is so great um, and, I, and the whole time I was there I, I felt like I was in like I feel like I was in like Wonderland. It was so weird. Huh. Like I'm in this psych ward, but all these people had all these different talents, and I I ended up learning how to play chess, uh, and I ended up getting a chess set from this kid, and then I was transferred to a group home, and I stayed in a group home for like two years. Uh, so yeah, it's it, it those moments are moments that I feel like because of them I am who I am, and I would never talk negatively about the foster care system. I'll never talk neg- negatively about group homes. I think there are group homes and, and there are situations within the foster care system that are negative, but it's those isolated situations. Um, I think the programs themselves are put in place to support the child. And I got support. I, I don't have any, I was never like molested or touched or uh, physically abused or mentally. Like I, I had all my, situ- all my uh, situations were great. I mean, I have a lot of, knowledge about it my aunt has been work she's worked in various versions of the system all pretty much all my life and then i'm kind of plugged into it out here in los angeles and it seems like most of the negative stuff you hear about is people taking advantage of the system and out here in la there are some just systematic problems and part of it being there are more kids than are currently uh, able to be served and so there's some just some scales of efficiency that need to be added. Um, but that is, I, I mean, I asked a question because I don't know that I've talked to many, I don't know that I've talked to many people that grew up in it or had spent time in it. If I have asked a question, I don't know if many of them actually responded like, yeah, it was it was great. Like, it, it was fantastic for me, and this is why. And that's, that's dope to hear. Um, I mean, I'm very fascinated by the idea that your dad has a hard time with white people, black militant, and not an inch of that rubbed off on you. Wait, um, or did it? Or did it? Yeah, like uh, I, I, did, I, did, right I did not. I love yeah. everybody. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. It did so not what? Revolve, how did revolve. how did that like manifest itself growing up for you? Um, you know, just getting an understanding of that experience uh, from your side. Obviously, having a conversation with him is, would be different. Yeah. So it was it was very weird because I would, you know, my parents uh, when when I went into it really manifested because when I was in a group home, like I was saying. I had all different types of young men that were from different races, different homes. Yeah. So that's when I first saw it. And then when I got home, my dad purposely took me out of school in Brooklyn and put me in school in Staten Island because he wanted me to be in a more diverse school. For real? He like purposely took me out. So huh. he was like, I don't want you to grow up. I want you to go to a school with only black kids. I want you to go to school that has mixed, like that's mixed with kids. So I ended up going to school in Staten Island. And my best friend is uh, Dominican, and one of my best friends is Indian. And, like, it's just crazy how it worked out. It's um, crazy. It's, it's very – the thing that I'm – one thing I'm picking up on is it's interesting to me that you're not c- confused. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to name you Thomas because yeah. it's a more white-sounding name, and you'll be you'll do better in America. I like and people. I want you to be – but first, but I'm gonna go cuss out this dude yeah. named Tom, and then, and then like because he's white because he's white, and yeah. it's it's I think the coolest the the most interesting thing, and not to talk I mean so much about your dad, but it's almost like he had an inherent self awareness. He just didn't do anything about it, but the way you know he did about something his about house? it, like yeah, like how like he the way he did something about it was with through you. He's like exactly yeah, yeah. So that's what I was gonna get into. My so my dad. He was also in the foster care system, uh, and he he got out, or he was he was he went back to his mom. He was like eight or nine. Never had a relationship with her. So throughout his whole life, even though he was there with his mom, and he has my dad has four other siblings. So I have three uncles and an aunt. Um, well, he has he has more because he has some step siblings, but the ones that he grew up with, and uh, he didn't really have a relationship with his mother or with my grandmother because. My grandmother had mental el- mental uh, illness, so she was she was taken to like a they took her to like a church, and she was in this program for a while. So that's when he went into the foster care system, and then when he got out, he he grew up w- with his foster parents and his foster brothers. So when he finally had the opportunity to connect with his mother, they never had that connect. Even to this day, my grandmother's passed away now, but even until her death, they never had like a really strong bond. But my my dad took care of her because it was his mother. It wasn't because he like like because like it wasn't because he was a mama boy mama's boy like me. It was because this is my mother. It's my duty. Because... Yeah, it's my duty to protect my mother and to be there for my mother. So he he tells me all the time. He's like, I love my mother, but I wasn't one of those kids where like if my mother like disowned me, I, it wouldn't bother me because I never had a relationship with her. Well, like, it makes that. sense. Like, was she like, wasn't there. It's just kind of interest. It's an yet another contradiction. It sounds like that. He, he felt the responsibility to take care of her when she didn't necessarily take care of him. Exactly. Yeah. And my dad's always been a type of guy that he he's always been hyper focused on common sense. He says yeah. common sense to me at least three, four times a day. Still, <laughs> he's like, I'll ask him something. And he's like, well, when you think about common sense, you know, this is what you should do. And I think a lot of stuff that he's done throughout his life, he put common sense behind it to him and his common sense led him to be in these these really cool situations but uh i wasn't confused because at home i knew what i got and then at school i knew what it was so i knew it was two different dynamics what really took a turn was when i became an adult because mm-hmm. what was happening is i would bring friends home so i remember like the whole eric gardner and michael brown 
situation. Um, I remember going to march uh, at Washington Square Park. Uh, we, we were marching from Washington Square Park up to, I believe it was like to like Central Park. And I went with two of my white friends. And uh, I remember my dad, I called my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, do you want to go? And he's like, nah, I marched, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Marching is a waste. He's like, as black people, we need to do more than just march. So he's like, I'm not going. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I go marching with my friends. And then I get a call. My dad's like, hey, I'm at the march. So I guess he's like, I changed my mind. I'm at the march. So I'm like, great, let's meet up. We go to meet up. And as soon as he sees my, my wife, like we walk and I say, hey, dad, this is my friend, John. And he says, oh, hell no. I'm not fucking marching with no white people. Like, I'm not fucking doing that. And he walks off. And I turn to my friends and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, my dad, like I, I, I didn't know he was going to act like this. And, and it was like, it, it's been moments like that where I bring people that are not black around. And my dad's like, he just does not play with it, right? So what, what, uh, yeah. But how, how would your dad feel about you marrying a white woman or oh, yeah, somebody we, that's not black? So we, we, we recently just went through this. So when I moved to Philly, I was dating a white woman. Uh, we dated for like for almost two months and she kept asking me to meet my dad like she kept asking me like oh, i want to meet your dad i want to meet your dad and i'm like and I, I currently live with my dad i end up moving with him so i was like i don't think it's a good idea like i know my dad i don't think it's a good idea uh but she just kept asking me about it so then i went to my dad and i'm like hey dad really want to introduce you to this girl i'm dating you know she's white um her name's kate and he was like you could bring her over but i don't know how it would feel like you can mm. bring her but i don't know how it would feel he was just honest. He was like, I don't, I really don't know how, like, he's like, on one hand, he said, I don't really like white people. I'm not really interested in being around them. But he said, but on the other hand, this is someone who loves my, and cares about my son and who you like and who you care about. Um, so he said, I really don't know how I would feel about it. And me and her stopped talking. So it ended up not happening. <laughs> Literally, like, stopped talking every week. So it ended up not happening. And I was, I was happy about it. But um, I tell my dad very proudly, I'm like, I date everybody. My thing is, I will always date and love people who like love me. If I meet a woman and I don't care, and people like think I'm full of it, but I'm, I, I swear to you, this is the God, God's honest truth. I will marry or date anybody. I don't care if you're 500 pounds. I don't care if you're anorexic. Like, if you love me and you respect me, and I do the same for you, we will rock out. And I hope you get out of that. I hope you lose weight if that's something you want to do. I hope you eat. Like, I think. The problem with relationships is that we're, we're, we're so shallow when it comes to people's mindsets and what people can bring to the table for people. Like, are we all, all our hearts are the same, same colors, our brains are the same. I'm attracted to people that love and care about me. I've always been that way. I'm, I'm curious to, um, your dad said, prior to him actually showing up to the march in response to, to Eric Gardner, um, that black people need to do more than just march what's your thought on that i'm curious and what what that actually means to you like do do you somewhat agree uh yes absolutely i think uh i don't think it's black people i think people need to do more than just march uh because black people when we one thing after that march after the that particular march my dad walked off i, I didn't finish the story but he ended up coming back and apologizing and, he's like, and because uh, I called him in the moment and I was like, hey, dad, it's because of uh, people like you and because of mindsets like that, that we're in the shit. So you need to get your, your shit together. And I guess he walked for like half an hour and he realized it. And then he called me back and he was like, I'm so sorry. You know, 
and end up apologizing to me um, and my friends. So God, I want to talk to your dad now. I, so. like, I know <laughs> we just started talking to you, but I also, I'm just so, the, the conflicts. Yeah. Like I, well, just, this is the thing that I find most fascinating about your experience with, like, we talk a lot in side conversations and other things about separating feelings from from knowledge, logic, and data, right? Like, I may feel a certain way about something that doesn't make it true, nor does it make it, um, you know, as negative as it may make me feel. It's this idea that crime is up, even if it may data may be down just because I see it in the news or uh, whatever it may be. And your dad, but did a great job, you know, separating those two things. So you have the ability to, to go through life functioning that way. Am I, am I assessing that well? Like, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing there is that my dad never wanted me and my brother to go through what he went through. Yeah. So, he, you know, he grew up in his 60s and the 70s and, you know, riots and marching. Those are things that he saw at a high level. So marching and not even marching, but just being a black man in 1969. And oh, it's being completely a man, different. It meant something completely but 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 it is completely different. But there are some similarities, right? We oh, see, for we sure, still, for sure. We still see oppression. We still see we still see police brutality. So my dad, in his mind, he's like, it's been forty years. It's been thirty years. Nothing. These things are not changing. And I want my my kids to have the best possibility to the best opportunity to be what they want to to do what they want. Um, and and I can get deeper and deeper into it because I I'll share with you guys, which is another thing, which is blows my mind. My dad does not like Barack Obama. He's not. He did not vote for Barack Obama. He does not like him. But my dad likes Donald Trump. Hmm. He didn't vote for Donald Trump, but likes him. He like. He thinks that he likes that Donald Trump is honest and he's and he's unapologetic. So I think that's generational. Him. Yeah, and it's crazy to me because me and him have these debates, and I'm like, are you are you fucking kidding me? He's like, I don't agree with what he's saying, <laughs> but he but he's saying it. But I like how he's saying it. Like, it seems honest. And and it's crazy to me. So uh, I say all this to say my dad's always wanted us to be the best people possible when it comes to living in today's society. He wanted us to have the best possibilities. So that's why he kind of trained us. And I feel like some of the stuff, to your point, he doesn't agree with, but he doesn't want his kids to have to have the same mindset that he has, which is this militant um, I watch my dad disrespect cops every day. Like, I'll be walking down the street with him, and he'll be like, you fucking pig. And I'm like, officer, please excuse him. Like, it was a point where <laughs> I wouldn't go out with him. Like, I would literally, and, and, and he, he, treats guy, black huh? cops, he treats black cops just as bad as white cops. Yeah. So he'll, he'll call a black cop. He'll be like, you're just as shitty because you, you, you're a part of it. Like, you support this. Um, well, and that's kind of what I mean about it being different, about being a black man today versus, like, being a a, a pro a militant black in the 50s 60s like that was almost that was almost survival like yeah. i needed to be around my crew and i needed to be militant and i needed to be very aggressive about protecting myself and the occurrence of like i know that this fen- it seems like a current phenomenon of these shootings and these incidents happening with police but like Getting your ass kicked by the police for a black man was a daily occurrence. Yeah. Like, it, it was a normal thing. So, like, yeah, I, he hates he hated the cops. Like, 
because it was just a normal thing. And now, like, there's still a lot of things that go on that are similar, but it's, it's levels, you know. I'm <laughs> I, I'm curious since we're on this this you being a black man, the experience of it. What's that been like with date while you wait? Like, how has that played out for you? So, so that's a very, very good question. Uh, when I started doing date while you wait, I said, uh, I remember trying to figure out what I was going to wear. And my goal was to have basically a costume, like something I only wear during date while you wait. Mm. So what I decided to do was always wear a bow tie, always wear uh, uh, some type of fedora. So if you look mm. every day while you wait, I've, I've done, I have a fedora on. Sometimes I don't have a bow tie because I broke it or I forgot it. But usually I have a fedora, always wear some type of button down shirt. Um, I always wanted to put black men in a positive light during day while you wait. So it's funny. It's funny you asked that or not funny, but it's, it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, what also is interesting about that is that. And I and this is not a secret. Date while you wait, I get the most shit from black women. Hmm. Like black women give me so much crap, uh, and and it's they say I make look I make black men look desperate. Why am I sitting in the subway looking for love? Because they don't know that it's about connection. Um, I remember there are two times, two instances I can remember. One, I had a woman walk past me. And like literally, it's like, damn, why are you so desperate? Like, oh my god, like, why are you here? She left, and two, the, the next time I did day while you wait, she came back and apologized to me and told me that she's she's sorry. She thought it was a dating thing, and she and she sat with me and we had a conversation, um, <laughs> and it was just really funny. Um, do, do you have any ideas as to why that might be? I think because I think because uh, and 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 it's such a long. A long story. I think it's because of men. I don't think it's because of them. I, I'll backtrack and I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about me dating, right? So I, before I, I did date while you wait, maybe a year prior to that, I was in a five-year relationship, and my girlfriend at the time, I used to always tell her, pretty much every couple of days, I would say to her, I appreciate you bringing my girlfriend because we live in New York and men are attacking you constantly. Like you're a beautiful woman. And you have so much going for yourself. So you, you, you get an attack going down the street. You get an attack walking into the, like, you get attacked going down the street. You walk into the building, yeah. security guard bothers you. You go up the elevator, you, your coworkers are bothering you. And I was like, I'm just so honored that you chose to deal with me. Like, it's just mind blowing to me. And I think women, especially black women in New York, men are always, like, even on my way to New York today, men are always attacking them. And it's not black, not only black men, but men in general. And to see someone, trying to put themselves out there in a funny way can seem like can you can look at it like oh here's another man trying to do yeah, yeah, yeah. What, men, what men are doing yeah and mm -hmm. so i understand it from that point of view uh so i think that has a lot to do with it i also think that black men with beards um well, black men in general but most so with beards we just get a bad rap like I, I people tell me all the time like you look so mean and then when i talk to you you just seem the total opposite and i'm like i, I can't fix how i look like like it's just who I am. I'm, I'm sorry I look that way, but it's just how I how I look. Um, and my beard's usually thicker. Um, I don't really wear this on a regular beard. Like it's raining today, so I threw on a hoodie and and a hat. But normally I'm rocking a fedora from like Gorn Bros. And I got on you know a cool sweater and I and I'm, I'm I try to be pretty fashionable. But uh, even with that, people are like 
you just look really mean. You have really how do you how do you like because that's I mean that is an underlying stereotype of black Ben, right? Like you you've got darker skin, you've got a beard, you've you've got the full facial hair, and it's watch out for him. Like the the persona, the the underlying subconscious bias would have someone walk on the other side of the street because they saw you coming down if you weren't if you were wearing a hoodie and a shirt like how have you maintained especially like given the experience you've had with your dad like how have you maintained the optimism like i I, i'm fascinated by you keep it going you you you're such a positive person like you still love all the people that you meet is it because it's few and far between or does it happen more often? Like what? Talk to me about that. Uh, it's it's more yes. so because I I've always I always look at it from their perspective. So it's 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 funny you like you're asking so many questions that are hitting home because I work in uh I work in in Philadelphia, but it's really a, a town outside of Philadelphia. And yesterday I took the train to work, and when I got off the train, uh, it was early in the morning. I, I, I had to work at. Uh, at 8 a.m. So still, still like the, the sun was coming out and me and a woman got off the train and she was walking in front of me and I didn't want her to feel uncomfortable. So I crossed the street. I just did it. I didn't even, I just was like, I don't want to make this woman feel uncomfortable. And I was looking way worse than what I look now. Cause I work in a warehouse. So I wear like my, my I wear like my dirtiest sneakers, my dirtiest sweats. So I was looking pretty, pretty like a mess. And I, I thought to myself, if, if I was her, I would feel, I could feel away. So I was like, let me cross the street. So I crossed the street and I walked past her and then crossed back back on the side I needed to be on. Um, and I, I don't know. I just think about it from people's perspective. I'm have, like, have you ever done that? Um, I, I've, I've had situations like uh, it could be at a grocery store. It could be anywhere or at night, like leaving the grocery store. Like if I'm too close to a woman, like I'll, I'll slow down. Like I'll back yeah. up. I'll give space. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I also, I also say things. So, it really depends. So I, I may say something like, I may say, excuse me, just to get their attention. Yeah. So they can fully see me. So they're not um, so, shocked by the black guy with the beard. Like, exactly. Oh, you're too close, man. Exactly. So if I, it, it all kind of depends on what I have on. So, you know, if I'm dressed to go out or like on a regular basis, like I said, I'm wearing a fedora. So fedoras are pretty, pretty like unassuming. People are comfortable with it. So if I feel like I'm too close, I may say, excuse me. She'll turn, she'll look at me, see that I'm, I'm no threat and keep, keep it moving. Um, but I always try to put the shoe on other, put, put the shoe on other person's foot. Like I just think about it. I'm like, I don't, I, I know how I would feel in this situation. So I don't want to put this person in a situation. Um, and that's just me. I've always, I've always been, I don't know. I've always had the know, the know-how to just not put myself in certain situations. Uh, so yeah. Is it like, this is fascinating to me right because i i mean i'll I'll certainly i'm a a polite person but wouldn't think if i'm walking behind a woman late at night that i'm any kind of threat regardless um but it's fascinating to me what drives you to do that because to me it would be no that's your problem if you're threatened by me get over yourself i'm gonna i'm gonna keep living my life and rodney it sounds to me like you do something similar knowing you it doesn't surprise me that you would do that too but I imagine your dad would never do it. Exactly. Uh, right. So um, it doesn't bother me. The buzz doesn't bother you that you have to do that. Or like, oh, yeah. what it are you trying to avoid? It? Yeah. It bothers me a lot. How about how about you, Thomas? Does it bother you? Uh, no. So it doesn't bother me because 
I I understand the the times in the world we live in. Hmm. So I, I think like because we live in a society where people are, are threatened by anything they don't understand, it's up to me to combat that with whatever tactics I can. Now, like I said, there are times where I'll cross the street and I'll keep it moving, and there are times where where uh, I'll say something right. I'll say excuse me, or there are times where I'll stay on the same side of the street. It kind of depends on what the situation is. There are also times where I've done it. I've crossed the street. I'll walk past the person across the back, and they would notice it, and they'll say to me, "Why'd you do that?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to scare you." And they're like, "Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you." Like it just, I I I do. I don't. It doesn't bother me because. I can't control society. I can control Thomas. Society, and all with all due respect, is fucked up. We live in a mm-hmm. fucked up society, especially when it comes to black men um, and black boys. Um, and, and, and which are seen as black men, yeah, even right. though they're boys. It's frustrating. That part of it is frustrating because there's more that can be done uh, to 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 combat the things that we go through. But at the same time, I can't be mad at you for not understanding it because you're not in that situation. All I can do is articulate it the best way I can. But even if I articulate it, it's still not as good as going through the situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not I'm not mad at the person for like I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at the fact that this like, like I like, am like the point like, the, like, he, right. like the the reason the reason I do it is because there could re- there could be repercussions yeah. if I don't exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's what's interesting about both of you right um just knowing rodney and i'm putting him in the bucket of the the similar behavior it's like i'm not doing it to to acquiesce to the society i'm doing it to to make sure that i don't put myself in a bad situation based on current circumstance but at the same time Rodney's going to do a podcast and at our, you know, do other things for diversity and inclusion. And you're going to do date while you wait and all the other things that you do to portray, you know, black men in a positive light in a certain situation. So you can make the progress, but I'm not about to put myself in a situation that's going to impede my tomorrow is, is kind of how I interpret that to because like me i'm a stubborn son of a bitch and i would just get mad like i'm mad at these white people that 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 you have to avoid so you don't threaten them but like i don't live your every day so i have a yeah, and, it, and it's a mixture so I, I don't only do it specifically with white people i do it with more so with women um and it depends mm. on the on the person i can tell I'm, I'm very good at reading body language and how people are feeling it's just some i've, I've always paid attention to, I guess, from sure. being in discovery mode. So body language is big for me. Um, but in, in addition to that, I just want to create the best situation possible that I can create in that moment. What has been the biggest, so what's been some of the pushback that you've gotten generally around date while you wait? I mean, you've been doing it, you're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've, I've taken a break because you know, I had some transitions. I, I I didn't really plan correctly when I left Apple. So I worked for Apple for seven and a half years, eight years. Um, and I decided to resign and focus on day while you wait full time. But when I did that, I didn't forecast correctly. So I had like a good four or five months that I was doing well. And then summer hit uh, and I just, it kind of just went downhill. So I ended up getting, going back to work. Uh, I worked for Yelp. So I moved to Arizona. I lived in 
at Scottsdale for a little bit, worked for Yelp, hated it. The whole time I was at Yelp, it, it, Yelp, Yelp's not a bad company. It's just they were saying things about Yelp becoming my company. And in my mind, I was like, I have a company. So I just had to get the hell out of there. So I ended up leaving there. I know that feeling. To, moving to Philadelphia with my dad. And uh, I've been working on Date YU8. And my company, my other company is Be Great Bowties. Um, and uh, really kind of focusing on developing those those brands. But uh, there's been a lot of negative. I would say that the negative has always been Date YU8 is romantic. The names, people, people get on me about the name all the time. Even to this day, I still hear about like, what is Date YU8? And then when I explain it to them, they're like, I still don't get the name. Um, <clears throat> so it's definitely been that. But uh, but the, the, the biggest thing is the name. People want me to change the name. Uh, I've got invited to have segments on shows where I do romantic things. And I'm like, no, it's about connecting with people. I don't want to do that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to stick true to it because I feel like I c- this can be a viable business. And I feel like I can, I'm creating value in people's lives. So I'll, I'll always do it. It will be something I do. I feel like in my 50s and 60s, I might, I might recruit my kids or grandkids. We'll see how that goes. Um, but it's just something that I've, I see value in. And I feel like I've learned a lot from people through the conversations that I've had. So, so um, your, um, your primary criticism is the name? Yeah, the name. Uh, so, for instance, when I, when I introduced board games to it, the creator, the inventor, he doesn't like when I say creator, the inventor of Connect Four. Uh, reached out to me because he read an article about me in the New York Times, and when he reached out to me, I was like, "This is bull- like you're not there. Forget the hell out of you here." You didn't invent yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah. it's come, always come, been there. Like who? Right, <laughs> yeah. Come to find out, he did. His name's Howard <laughs> Wexler. He's like one of my, my like he's my mentor. I talk to him a couple times a week. Oh wow. Uh, and he, we we used to go out for dinner. He would give me feedback about date while you wait, and maybe our first or second time at dinner, he's like, "Yeah, you got to change the name." He's like, you're never going to be able to make money doing this. Change the name ASAP. He's like, people, people are not going to understand it. And I, res- I told him respectfully, I'm like, no, I'm not going to change the name. It's catchy. I like the name of it. I, I think it ain't for everyone. What I'm doing is not for everyone, so it's okay. And he was like, yeah, you know, you're not, you're never going to make money doing this. And then maybe six months later, we had dinner, and he, and he calls me. He's like, hey, we need to grab dinner. I got something I need to share with you. And first thing he says to me at dinner is. It's so good you didn't change the name. Date YUA is amazing. Everybody talks about Date YUA. Like, I know they know exactly what it is. They know exactly what it means. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, like, it's come to think of it, it's actually a good name. <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I, I feel like sticking to your guns, understanding how to, how to do what you do at a high level is something that I'm really good at. My, my biggest opportunity is creating a business out of it and, and creating a community and that was something I, that's something I've been learning over the years so 2018 was me kind of cleaning it up so I haven't really done it much I didn't really do it much this year uh, but I, li- I literally just spent the last week uh, mapping out uh, putting it on the calendar for 2019 as well as events that we're going to be doing and I call it on my on my uh, in my planner it says the year of reckoning that's what it that's what it says hmm. um, and the reason being is because I'm about to blow day while you wait up in ways people never seen, like people never thought of. Um, and I'll share with you one thing that I'm introducing is a, is a loyalty card. So I'm going to give data as a loyalty card. Someone sits with me, they're going to get this card. And every time they come to a day while you eat, they'll get a punch. 
And after five punches, I'm going to give them a gift. It can be a sponsored gift. It can be something that it may be a book. But but my goal is to enrich people's lives in ways that nobody's ever thought of. And I know I can do it at a high level. I just have problems financially figuring out how to how to make it sustainable for myself. This last year has been the toughest year I've ever had in my life. Okay, so as you guys know, working at Microsoft, Apple is a huge company. Yeah. When I worked at Apple, I was a business specialist. Um, so I wasn't a regular specialist. I didn't. I I wasn't on the sales floor. My job was to create complete solutions for businesses. So my salary was good. I had my own car, had my own apartment, had a girlfriend, and then I created this thing, date while you wait. Lost the girlfriend, lost the car, lost, got rid of the apartment, lost the job, and I was like. What the fuck am I going to do? And then but something kept telling me, like, yo, this is your dream. Like, follow your dream, follow your dream, follow your dream. So many people have told me, like, no, it do, it, it's not going to work. Like, don't do it. But then I, I have these little moments that it just works. Like, I, I started this bow tie company. I make bow ties out of Scrabble. All my bow ties are made out of Scrabble. I'm seeing this. <laughs> it's dope. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, thank you. They're made out of Scrabble. People, I, I, want, uh, I did a fireside chat with Gary Vee. Right, Gary, Gary Vanderchuk. Gary Vanderchuk. He told me to my face, "Get rid of the bow ties. Don't do it. <laughs> like it's not gonna make you." He's like, "You'll make some money, but it's not." He's like, "You need to focus on content with date while you eat. You're unique to doing that. Focus on content." And I disagree with Gary. Yes, I need to focus on content, but but these bow ties are just as important to me. So what I did is I continued to work on them and work on them and work on them, and now I have a like viable business. Like people. Buy bow ties from me, and and we sell a pretty decent amount of them, and it's only growing. Um, if you if you if you look at our hashtags or you look at our on our page, people say positive things about our bow ties. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I believe that if you believe in something, you have to go for it, no matter what it is. I don't care how old you are. You know, I'm I live I live with my dad. I'm a single guy. I have the dumbest debt in the world because I, I went from being debt free to having like dumb company debt and dumb car debt. I don't have any credit card debt or anything stupid like that, but most of my debt is just really dumb um, because I made some poor decisions after I created Take Why You Wait. Um, but I say all this to say, even with all the things I have going on, I'm like slowly climbing out of it. And it's and it, and it it's a great moment. So um, the reason I'm so uh, excited about what's to come in 2019 is because I know the power of Date Why You Wait. If I did Date Why You Wait every day of the week, I would be on Ellen or Oprah. If I did it every day of the week, I just know I just I just know the power of connecting with people and mm-hmm. how to get people to connect in that way. But I have to be realistic as well. So that's why that's I was like, uh, you know, the the power of conviction. Like you know, t- telling your mentors, your 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 uh, accomplished mentors. Nah, I think I'm gonna do it this way. And like our business coach tells us, number one, no matter what, like when you're talking about anything, about any change or anything you're trying to do for your company, it's gotta, it's gotta resonate to you. Like it's gotta be real to you. If, if somebody has the most awesome idea in the world, but you don't like it, like don't do it. Cause it won't, because eventually that's going to flow through your customers or, or your, your guests or whomever you're serving, they're going to realize that it's not authentic. It's not you. And no, and no change is ever made by doing it the same way over and over again. So right, I, like only I mean, there can only be so many Gary V's. Right, like, like you only do that <laughs> way so many times. Gary Gary V is great at what Gary V does for himself. Yep. Yeah. 
you, you can take what Gary Vee says and apply it to certain parts of what you do. But if you did exactly what Gary Vee did or does and you copied it, you won't, you wouldn't be as successful. It's a different right. thing. It's done already. It's not gonna work the same way. And and it's a it's a sincerity thing. Like if it's not true to who you are, like that's who Gary Vee is. So he does it. And it Which works. I think is my biggest beef with not necessarily Gary Vee, but like this the whole self improvement and even workout yeah. space yeah. is like, oh look how I did it. And it's like, no, that's great. You got a framework that works. But the people that I really like, they're like, here are the things that work for me, and here's how I found out what what works for me i i went through 40 iterations of things that didn't work to figure out what did and here's a framework to help you you apply that and maybe do 20 instead of 40 because we're all different uh, yeah and and also like like uh, what i was going to add to that is that we we fantasize based on other people's success mm-hmm. i want to fantasize mm-hmm. on my own success <laughs> Like, this is me. I want to enjoy the shit that I do. I don't, I'm happy for Gary Vee. I'm happy for Howard Wexler. They've made millions. I'm, I'm happy for them. I don't want to own the Jets. Don't care about them. Not something I'm interested in. And I think a lot of times we get excited for other people. And, and yes, we should commend them and we should encourage them. And be Applaud like, them. And yeah. You did hey, the, congratulations. You did Absolutely. Congratulations to you. But that doesn't work for me. So right. I, uh, I'm not ashamed. I'm not upset with it's, the work I'm doing. I think it's a it's a form of escapism, like because because it's when you sit and look at what Gary V did, like you look at him going to garage sales and buying stuff to resell it at you know pennies, dollars, just it, like that over and over. It's like man, he 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 was grinding. He was hustling. That's hard work. Like to sell enough shit from garage sales to make a million dollars. That's a lot of work. And so it's a lot easier. To be like, man, that would be awesome. Like, oh, I could do that. And like, just to think about all of it versus join to go find your own. And I think that I think that's part of the reason why we end up doing that. There's a process to the madness to everything that we do. There's a process. Uh, Howard Wexler, for instance, with Connect Four, he told me. I asked him. I said, you know, what made you create Connect Four? He said, I I made thousands of games. This is just one that stuck. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I've, I made so many different games, and this is the one that made, like, it stuck. <laughs> but it's it's that, it's the mindset, like, as a kid, you see your parents, you know, let's say your parents have, you know, they have a big house, and you grow up in that, and you're, yeah, this is the type of life I want to live, but you'd never experienced the 30, 40 years prior where, you know, they were paying off student loan debts, working whatever they were working, going through that grind, we we see a, a professional football player and we say, hey, man, I want to do what he does. He could throw. But you don't see the the hours away hours from the family the during the ho- holidays, the sleeping in the locker room. Like you don't see those things. Like there's no substitute for work, no matter what you do. The, the, there is no golden ticket except the lottery and the chances of winning that are. Um, you know, I think that that's. If if I think there's a danger of social media, I think that's probably the one that's the most insidious because we see what people want us to see and our brains don't, unless you're super conscious about it, our brains don't say, you know what, they have a bad day too. Or like they took 20 photos while they were at this one beach and they just spread it out over like six months 
It's like, man, this person's always on the beach. It's like, no, nah, probably not. But it just it 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 builds this whole thing. Like, I want that, but we don't see the work. So do you still just so you took some time off from date while you wait um to get things in order? Are you looking to do it in other locations? Like, is it still going to be around the subway? Um, I've, you know, I've seen online you put your table maybe in a park or something like that. So I'm curious what the what what that looks like for you. Oh yeah, so date while you wait will only be in subways. Um, there are other iterations of connections that I've created that are outside of subways. So I created a thing I call connect more with connect four and i i went around new york city with a giant connect four and i just played connect i saw four that places um so there'll be other iterations where i utilize board games and i create connections and we use it for content um and we use it to connect with people but date while you wait will only live in subways and public spaces so like my goal is to take it to the bart um i think the bart the space in san francisco the space in the subways in san francisco is perfect for date while you wait it will work perfect so I'm probably going to just set up, get yelled at, and then find a way to get a permit. Um, <laughs> you know, San Francisco's law. It's San Francisco. They'll probably – you'll be good. Just don't yeah. piss off the cops. So um, so I'm, I'm my goal is to do it in some some cities. I'm trying the, – the, the, uh, the Martyr, I believe, is in Atlanta, so I might do that. Um, but my goal now is to get it to happen more in subway, uh, subway stations and on the platforms. When I did it in Philadelphia, it was it was weird because it wasn't on a on a in a subway platform and it didn't really go too well. So I realized that it needs to be somewhere where people are waiting. Um, so to answer your question, uh, date while you wait will live in public spaces. Um, but but in addition to that, I've kind of rebranded what I, what I'm doing from date while you wait to the connection connection curator. curator yeah. Um, and the reason I did that is because my the main reason is because of school. So back in 2015, I signed a contract to be a public speaker with a public speaking agency. And I was traveling and speaking at universities and the feedback I would get at those universities, two things. One, my stories are way too general. They weren't really specific. I didn't really dive in. Um, so when I would speak to students, I would just give them like outlines of what I was doing with Date Y.U.A. And then two, the name Date Y.U.A. for like middle school students uh, high school students, it's a little uncomfortable because it's, it, as people think, it's romantic. So I've, I've rebranded it to be the Connection Curator. And with the Connection Curator, we have a couple of different iterations of the, of the company. One is going to be DayYU8. The other would be education. So I do a lot of workshops and if, um, with schools and with students. I have a workshop pro program I created, and I'm actually finishing up for the, by the end of the year, called the Connection Series. And it's uh, a list of three C's I use to connect with people and that anybody can use to connect um, with family, friends, and students and pairs. Um, so I, I'm working on that. Um, that's that's going to be. Can done. I ask you what the three C's are? Yeah. So it's confidence, courage, and communication. Um, and each one, I have uh, these cool kind of activities and backstories behind them. So, for instance, with confidence uh i always say you build confidence by practicing but practice doesn't make perfect practice makes better um so i use a series of videos if you look at like for you were talking about sports you look at like a lebron james or you look at a tom brady one thing you never miss is that they always are at practice 
Tom Brady's 40 years old and he practices because you practice to make better. You don't, it'll never be perfect. You always have something you can work on. So I, I, t- I tell students, uh, practice makes better. And, you, and that's something you should focus on. Um, under courage, you build courage for me by putting yourself in situation in uncomfortable situations. So what I would do is when I was uh, in my early teens, I would say probably like 14, 15, if I wanted to talk to women, I, I used to always use like girls my age, I would always use the rule of numbers, right? Percentages. I was like, if I talk to 20 women, the chances <laughs> of me getting one is there's, there's 20 ch- chances for me to get one. If I talk to one, she tells me, no, I'm in trouble. So I always tell, I have a workflow where I teach students um, as well. I've done this with adults that are looking to date to go out and practice doing these exercises that will lead to you being more confident, which will help you with your confidence and your courage. Um, and that's something that I'm all going to roll out. Like, like I'm telling you, 2019 is a year record. It's the year. It's going to be crazy. Um, and then communication is very simple. Challenge yourself to communicate, but start with the mindset. Start with the positive mindset. Hmm. So, but, it, the, but it goes deeper than that. So, Thomas, we got to start closing down here. Um, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Um, but before we go, time has gone too fast. But before we go, we like to ask everybody what they would like our, our listeners to know, what, what they'd leave everybody with. I guess what I what I would like your listeners, listeners to know, and it may sound cliche, but if you have something that you want to do, and it can be anything, if you if you if you like knitting, or you like you know you like um, you you enjoy jogging, or you have a passion for for cars, or, or whatever the case may be, if you have this feeling in your stomach of butterflies, it's like talking to the person you like for the first time. Follow that feeling because chances are you're going to be great at it. Um, and it's something that's going to manifest into greatness. And then that's, I, I, I use greatness a lot because I feel like there's a lot that we all, we have to all, we have to offer the world, but we don't do it because we're uncomfortable or we're scared. The reason that you're scared to do it is because it's incredible, because it's great. And it just takes time to manifest. So if you have butterflies in your stomach, if you feel like if it makes you feel anxious, that means that you probably should do it. You have a level of passion for that.